Patrick here with some exciting news. We now have 10 local communities of engineering leaders hosting in-person meetups all over the world. Yes, you heard that right. There are 10 local communities in cities all over the world. These groups are led by engineering leaders just like you who wanted to create a place to connect, to share insights, and tackle critical challenges in the job. To get involved, go to elc.community. Sign up if you haven't already. If you have signed up, make sure you update your location and we'll get you plugged in. We're launching local events all the time. You can find them and get involved again at elc.community. Oftentimes, organizations that are larger that get started with these types of measurements in our framework, they're really surprised. They realize that, oh, man, there's all these opportunities we didn't even realize. And developers are telling us these are the most important things. These aren't the things we're working on. And we need to shift our focus. So uh, I think there's a huge opportunity to refocus by getting a holistic picture of the developer experience. Hello and welcome to the Engineering Leadership Podcast brought to you by ELC, the Engineering Leadership Community. I'm Jerry Lee, founder of ELC. And I'm Patrick Gallagher, and we're your hosts. Our show shares the most critical perspectives, habits, and examples of great software engineering leaders to help evolve leadership in the tech industry. What are the metrics you measure? What should I focus on to improve productivity? These questions come up in almost every one of our community events, seriously, all the time. And the answer can be elusive, and they often come with results may vary disclaimers. There has to be a better way. And that quest for a better way to measure and improve developer productivity and developer experience has been the mission of Abi Noda, co-founder and CEO at DX. Abi returns to the show to discuss his latest research. It is fresh off the research press and reveals a new practical developer-focused framework on measuring and improving developer productivity. And so our conversation covers the evolution of measuring developer productivity. So you can get a sense of how we got where we are right now. We get into the current limitations and the challenges with frameworks like Dora and Space. Abi introduces his new DevX framework, and then we dive deep into several different examples and case studies on how to apply this framework and make it effective for you. Plus, we get into all kinds of different strategies and nuances for how you can apply this framework within all kinds of different engineering contexts. We even talk about how to implement these insights, even if you don't have a dedicated DevX team. Let me introduce you to Abi Noda. Prior to founding DX, Abi was the CEO and founder of Pullpanda, a developer productivity tool acquired by GitHub in 2019. At GitHub, he led research collaborations with Dr. Nicole Forsgren, McKinsey, and Microsoft Research, which was the impetus for founding DX. Abi references the DevX research paper they just released. You gotta read it. It has some awesome insights. You can find that link in the show notes. Seriously, check it out. Enjoy our conversation with Abi Noda. Abi, just want to say welcome back to the show. It's good to have you here, man. How are you? Doing great. Thanks so much for having me back. Absolutely. Last time we chatted, the the whole purpose was diving into your story, starting DX, starting Pull Panda, and, and some of your background as a founder. Today, we're going a little bit of a different direction. You just co-authored a research paper on developer productivity and developer experience. So why don't you bring us into your world? Tell us about this project and what inspired you to want to dive deep into measuring and improving developer productivity. 
Yeah, I shared a little bit of my story the first time I was on your show, but really this problem of what do you measure to understand productivity? What do you measure to improve productivity? How do you do that within an organization? That's just a problem that's been fascinating to me and absorbed my attention for almost seven years now. This latest paper that I've co-authored with Dr. Nicole Forsgren, Margaret Ann Story, Michaela Grayler is really a culmination of all the research we've done to date as an industry around developer productivity activity, plus the research we've been working on over the past three years, combined with the experience of trying to apply this research with organizations. And the point of this paper is to try to bring a really practical methodology for measurement to organizations. You know, today, there's so many research articles, tools, blog posts, opinions about developer productivity and metrics, but still there's really not been a practical and effective methodology. And that's what we're trying to provide with this paper. I've got a conversation right after this with a handful of VPs and heads of engineering. And I can tell you almost every other time we talk, it's always like, okay, what are you, what are you all doing to measure? It's really easy to be up in the abstract. So uh, I really appreciate and admire your effort to dive deep into this and provide the practical and effective measurement here. You know, more broadly, why? what's the why behind the research? And why do you think that engineering leaders should be thinking about developer productivity in new ways beyond sort of the current popular forms that most people are looking at it today? The why is that this really is, like I mentioned, still an unsolved problem. As you know, from conversations with engineering leaders, what to measure is just elusive. And everyone's still trying to figure it out. There's been these major leaps forward, things like Dora, the space framework that have moved us forward, but still ultimately on the ground when you talk to leaders, there's still this problem of how do we actually do it? One of the things that we're trying to convey with this paper and the trend we're seeing across the industry is this shift, this gradual understanding and realization that in order to understand and measure developer productivity, you can't just look at the data that's coming out of the tools that developers use. But rather, in order to understand productivity, you need to capture the perceptions and experiences of developers themselves. Again, just to repeat that, it sounds obvious to say, but you can't understand developer productivity without the perceptions of developers themselves. Capturing the developers' perceptions is the best way to understand, are our tools working? How are the processes? What are the things that developers are getting stuck on? Are they happy and motivated and excited about work? And these types of factors are part of the inspiration for this new framework that we're providing that really encapsulates both system-based metrics about workflows and tools alongside perceptions of developers to try and provide a way of capturing the full picture around developer productivity. I think what's been so interesting about this paper is like your historical context for how these metrics have evolved is also just incredible. And so I was wondering, can you rewind us back a little bit? Where have we come from when it comes to developer productivity? And how did we get to where we are now before this evolutionary leap? How has like measuring and improving developer productivity evolved? I think it's hard to tell a perfect linear story around this, but you know, having spent a lot of time in this space and working with all these researchers, I do have, I think, a sort of narrative that helps make sense out of it all. So I think when we rewind and start at the beginning, the most cringe and blunt way that organizations have tried to measure developer productivity historically is through output metrics. So things like lines of code, number of commits, you still kind of see it today with metrics like number of pull requests, things little gray area there of whether that's valid or not. But these types of output metrics were 
the intuitive thing to count and measure. It was like, what are developers doing? Writing code. Okay, we'll count how much code they're producing. And of course, any software developer knows that those types of metrics don't really capture the nuance of software development work and create poor incentives for teams and organizations. It's rare today to find people who don't agree that output metrics are core. However, I still think it's a pretty common practice to do so, especially in the current macroeconomic environment. You hear of organizations still relying on these types of metrics and form layoffs and who to cut. Those types of practices are questionable. But again, these are metrics that are intuitive. They're available, not effective, but very commonly used. I was just talking with somebody, you know, in the common space of this co-working area. And I was like, oh, we're having this conversation about developer productivity. He goes, oh, man, like, you know, I remember back in the day when people were measuring keystrokes. And so I was just sitting there and he's like, I can't wait to hear this podcast. And I was like, well, you know, if you listen close to the wall, you might be able to catch some early scoop insights. Do you find people linearly progress like through these different evolutions of measurement? Or do you recommend more of a quantum leap to go from output metrics to maybe some more of the recommendations you're talking about in your paper? That's a great question. I think that as an industry, the consensus around what the best practice is coming from subject matter experts has evolved in the ways that we're talking about. However, I think when you follow the individual journeys of leaders, it actually does still follow this progression. I think a lot of leaders still start at step one, because as we said, I think it's such an intuitive starting point to say, I'm going to measure the activity of my developers. They're writing code. I'm going to count how much code they're producing. And so despite the research that's out there, despite the conversation around best practices when it comes to measurement, I think a lot of leaders are still starting with output metrics. And that's not necessarily wrong. I think everyone has to figure it out for themselves and sort of go on this journey to figure out ultimately what the right measurements are for their organization. Okay, so we got output metrics then. What's been the evolutionary pathway then after that? So in the late 2000s, Dora came on the scene. And actually, before Dora, it was really the book Accelerate that came on the scene and sort of took the industry by storm. This was around the time things like CICD and continuous delivery and the term DevOps were just kind of on the rise. They were the new trendy thing in Accelerate on, I believe, page 19. We joke about it today, but <laughs> it defined these four key metrics for software delivery performance. What happened in the years that followed is that these four metrics were somewhat taken out of context and became this de facto set of KPIs that every organization started believing that they had to measure, including many organizations that I've worked for myself. The funny thing looking back, if you talk to folks like Nicole or even Nathan Harvey, who now leads Dora at Google, they'll all joke about, you know, at the time, people would buy the book Accelerate for their executive team to tell them, hey, look, continuous delivery is important. DevOps is important. And the joke is that they would just read page 19, where the four metrics were defined, and then close the book and say, we got to measure these metrics. And that's how we're going to improve. And of course, as the book talks about, there's so much beyond just those metrics. Those metrics were outcomes that captured the result of the capabilities described in the book. So those four key metrics are really the outputs and the inputs, the capabilities are the things that in their research, they also measured and that organizations are supposed to be really focusing on. And today, when you talk to leaders about their experiences with Dora metrics, I think the common story you hear is we thought that the Dora metrics were the gold standard. We 
set them up, and then we didn't get a lot out of them. They didn't really tell us what our problems were. They didn't help us really guide improvement. We asked ourselves, what's next? And I personally experienced this at GitHub a few years ago when we and Nicole worked there as well. It's funny to think back to this experience, but GitHub was undergoing a transformation. We were trying to accelerate GitHub engineering, and our SVP of engineering at the time had the same thought pattern. He thought, oh, the, the Dora metrics are the standard. Duh, like that's of course what we're going to do. So we spent a few months, lots of engineering resources to build some limited Dora dashboards and Looker. And funny enough, one of my responsibilities at GitHub was to try to use those metrics to actually improve our engineering organization. And I remember having these metrics and asking Nicole, so, so what do we do with them? What do we do with these <laughs> metrics? Are we doing good? I mean, we looked pretty good compared to the, the benchmarks that Google was publishing, but but it lacked context. You know, for some teams, a lead time of three days was great. For another team, lead time of three days was terrible. And I had no idea whether teams were doing well, they weren't doing well, or what was actually getting in their way. That's the story you're hearing a lot more of now with Dora as leaders have raced to embrace it. And there is value in the Dora metrics. They're by no means useless. It's just this belief and promise that the Dora metrics were the answer to all of our engineering measurement problems is, is definitely fallen sure of that promise. So it's like we've got the historical context. And at this point, people listening are probably like getting built up to like, okay, what do we have to do? I'm going to have them hold on for one more second. Um, I was wondering if you could more explicitly talk about some of the challenges identified in these different approaches and how some of these things maybe fall short of capturing this full picture of developer productivity, because you're naming the frustration that a lot of people are having. So like, let's dive in deeper to that frustration. Like, what are the shortcomings and the challenges here with Dora and Space? Yeah, so, you know, space came on the scene after Dora, and I think space was a, a monumental paper. It also kind of took the industry by storm and lots of misconceptions, I think, around space. And you know, I work with both the lead authors of space, and we talk about this a lot. But one of the things that space made the point of was that productivity is complex and that human perceptions have to be taken into account. I think one of the challenges with space was that it was pretty broad, it was pretty high level, and it wasn't something that organizations could easily apply. And in fact, organizations that have tried to apply space, oftentimes by copying and pasting the example metrics provided in the framework, kind of get steered in the wrong direction. And the authors of space, for example, Margaret Ann's story, we talk about this a lot, where she says the metrics in space were just examples. They weren't suggestions. They weren't recommendations. They weren't meant to just be copied and pasted and easily applied. And she's been getting the same feedback and hearing the same story from a lot of organizations as well that love the concept of space, but don't know really how to implement space within their organizations. And that's a large part of the motivation for this new paper. I also want to double click and go back to kind of your question around what's the challenge with Dora and even the output metrics we've also talked about, there's something at a higher level that's really important to point out. And this was really well described in a recent paper that was written by Google titled The Challenge of Measuring Developer Productivity. And in that paper, they compare how we go about trying to measure software development with how you might measure coal shovelers. It's kind of a weird analogy they use in the paper, but they share this incredible Peter Drucker quote that I'd never heard of, which I was surprised by given that I'm a measurement nerd and quote Peter Drucker all the time. Of course, Peter Drucker has that quote, you can't manage what you don't measure. He also has a quote saying that measuring knowledge worker productivity is one of the greatest challenges of the 21st century. And he himself talks about how the traditional industrial approaches to measurement 
measuring the number about number of uh, pounds of coal that are being shoveled or how quickly the shovels are moving those types of approaches to measurement don't really apply to creative work that is multidimensional and that can't be quantified in units similar to widgets in a factory when you take a big step back when we talked about dora metrics and the output metrics in a way, both of those approaches do fall under a more industrial lens or industrial perspective of software development. When you think about what software development really is, it's a form of knowledge work that can't really be measured like you would a auto manufacturing facility. I think that's what kind of brings us into the genesis of space. And that's also what we're building on with this latest framework that doesn't try to measure software development through industrial measures, but rather through a lot of perceptual measures and workflow measures, but captured through the lens of developers themselves. Can you provide an example of the perspectives mentioned by the space concept? The space framework is a acronym. So there are five different dimensions of productivity that space outlines. Some of these dimensions are satisfaction, performance, activity, collaboration, efficiency, and flow. I think I named all five, actually. The point of space is that you know they took a look at all the literature, the research literature that exists around developer productivity. And they said, hey, look, a lot of organizations out there are trying to reduce developer productivity to a single number. And oftentimes, a single number around activity, like commits or pull requests. They specifically call out those types of metrics in the paper. And what the authors are trying to say in space is developer productivity is far more complex and nuanced than that. It can't be reduced down to one number or even two numbers. You have to take into account all these different perspectives around developer productivity, all the diverse activities that developers perform. And only by getting that complete picture can you even really have a conversation about productivity in software development. Another recent paper related to this, authored by Margaret Ann Story, examined the definition of productivity itself. So she conducted a study where they interviewed developers and managers and simply asked them to describe how they defined productivity. Turned out that developers and managers had differing definitions of productivity. And not only did they have differing definitions, but they had misconceptions, misassumptions about how the other party defined productivity. So when it comes to developer productivity, and we talk about this in the intro of our latest paper, even defining developer productivity is elusive right now. And measuring it is perhaps impossible. So our framework is really not necessarily about measuring the conventional notion of productivity itself. Rather, we focus on what are the things you can and should measure to improve productivity. And I think that's an important distinction to call out. Can you dive into that distinction a little bit more just so that folks can really grasp that? When you talk about productivity, just casually, the image that comes to mind is like, how much work are we getting done? And as we've talked about, because software development is knowledge work, and it's not an auto manufacturing facility, it's actually really difficult to count how much work is getting done. There's a lot of work that isn't even tangible, right? Then people might be thinking or designing or experimenting things that don't even ever make it out to customers. That's what R&D is. When we talk about measuring productivity, we have to accept that we can't easily measure what people are often talking about when they say productivity. We can't measure those widgets, at least in an accurate and effective, productive way. However, what we can measure are the inputs, the things that go into the development process. And by understanding, measuring, and optimizing those things, of course, we would expect that productivity would improve. So in a way, uh, measuring the leading factors instead? 
Leading factors, I mean, we call them factors. That's what we call them in our research. You can also measure outcomes in different ways, right? So you can measure the perceived level of productivity reported by developers themselves or leaders. I mean, you can measure revenue of a company. So there's a lot of ways you can measure the outcome that's happening. But I think what we're trying to steer away from is that anti-pattern of trying to measure things coming out of the fingertips, the keyboard, the keystrokes themselves. I'm also curious your thoughts about balancing this outcome and productivity. There's a, you can look at now short term, like the team can operate a lot, but there may be a long term impact. So how do you balance the short term and long term? Is that even a dimension in all of these discussions? I think the trade-offs between not only time spans, as you're alluding to, but just the different factors that affect productivity. This is something that we talk about in our paper, and it's also discussed in the space paper as well. They talk about how all the different factors involved in developer productivity are interconnected. For example, you can get more focused time and productive time for developers by eliminating interruptions, reducing meetings. However, by doing that, you might also inhibit collaboration and communication across the team, which might actually worsen the outcomes for the team as a whole. So when we think about developer productivity, there's a lot of trade-offs, not just in terms of time, but between individual team members and how you optimize different factors. Factors. And that's one of the reasons why in this latest framework we published, we stress the importance of focusing on not just individual factors, but also the overall North Star metrics or KPIs as well. You have to stay focused on the big picture and the individual factors at the same time and hold those things in tension in order to make sure that the changes you're making aren't actually setting you backward. I would love for us to help make some of this concrete because you know, we're talking about the historical context, we're talking about the gaps, and now we're, we're talking a little bit about the way that this sets a new paradigm for productivity for developers. First off, concretely, can you give us a quick little overview of you know, this new DevX framework? And then let's talk about a couple ways that we can apply this or, or man this can manifest in different contexts. Yeah, in, in our paper, we're calling it the DevX framework, but in actuality, we provide two frameworks. So the first part of the paper focuses on providing a conceptual model or framework for understanding developer experience. And that's because developer experience, this isn't just something that's happening within this little pocket of research. Developer experience is a trend happening across the industry. A lot of companies are trying to figure out developer experience. They're trying to define it, create charters around it. And so we wanted to provide, based on our research a working conceptual model that organizations can adopt in order to not try to reinvent what developer experience is, but start actually taking action to improve it. So that's part one of the paper. Then part two of the paper is a framework for how to approach measurement. This is informed, again, from our existing research and experience in trying to actually apply the concepts that we've learned through our research over the past three years. We talk about how to measure. We, for example, recommend starting with surveys, but then also mixing qualitative and quantitative methods, gathering data from systems as well. We talk about the importance of balancing objective and subjective metrics, balancing KPIs and individual factors, and making sure that organizations are looking across the three dimensions of developer experience that we describe in the, the first part of the paper. Taking a step back, really, this is not just an encapsulation of our research, but really of what we're seeing in the industry. We, we include two case studies in the paper, but developer experience is something that is happening. This isn't just conceptual. Lots of teams are being formed around developer experience. C-suites across the industry are focusing on DevX at the C-level, focusing on it and optimizing it. I think this paper is landing you know, in a timely moment when a lot of people are trying to figure this out. And we're hoping that this helps people get started more easily. 
And if, if folks are wondering why we're not talking super in-depth about the details of the paper, it's because you can find a link to it in the show notes. So check it out, read it top to bottom, cover to cover, because it's excellent. But I want to talk about some of the, the applications here. So Jerry, Abby and I, we talked about, you know, a couple things from engineering managers to, you know, heads of engineering. Where, where do you want to start, Jerry? What, what do you want to jump into? What context do you think would be fun? Patrick here with some exciting news. We now have 10 local communities of engineering leaders hosting in-person meetups all over the world. Yes, you heard that right. There are 10 local communities in cities all over the world. These groups are led by engineering leaders just like you who wanted to create a place to connect, to share insights, and tackle critical challenges in the job. To get involved, go to elc.community. Sign up if you haven't already. If you have signed up, make sure you update your location and we'll get you plugged in. We're launching local events all the time. You can find them and get involved again at elc.community. Pretty exciting to jump directly into the front line. If you are the manager, uh, running the actual team, all the uh, engineers, ICs, how do you improve productivity of our team? Probably in a sustainable way. Yeah, I have a funny story to tell to kind of lead into this. When I was at GitHub and we had rolled out the Dora metrics, I started going around talking to managers, being like, hey, like we, we have the Dora metrics. What do you think? How do you think you can improve? And I remember one fairly disgruntled manager telling me, I don't care at all about any of these metrics. All I care about are how my developers feel. I care that they feel happy and productive. That's really what developer experience just boils down to. It's it's a framework for what makes developers happy and productive. So if you're a frontline manager, first of all, taking a step back, I don't think that this framework is most often going to be used by just like an isolated team within an organization. Developer experience really is a systemic challenge for organizations. And it usually involves bottlenecks and friction points that transcend just a single team. That being said, if you are a manager and you have this framework and you are measuring the things that we talk about in the paper, what this provides is really a full, complete picture of what are the levers I have as a manager? What are the dials I can turn? What are the bottlenecks I can patch over or fix to enable my team to be at its best? And when we say be at its best, it's not just about how quickly developers can get work out the door or how productive they are, but also how motivated they feel whether they feel engaged in their work or they're disengaged and working on side projects half the day. That was actually one of the consequences we identified in our prior research paper. Developers said, yeah, once these things don't get fixed, I start working on a side project. And we've heard this from new managers that this framework actually gives them a cheat sheet to what are the things that you should be focused on with your team to enable that team to be at its best. That question comes up all the time. I feel like in some of the conversations I've had is what should I focus on? Like, what's the number one thing I should focus on related to like the these levers and the systemic issues? Do you have a favorite blind spot? that these uncover that you might encourage people to look at for like a low-hanging fruit area of focus here for some of these bottlenecks or levers? It's obvious when you say it, but it's not something I see a lot of engineering organizations really raising the alarm bell on is requirements quality. It's just how clearly defined are the tasks that developers receive. And again, I'll share a quick story. When I was at GitHub, I talked with a director. Uh, He oversaw multiple teams. And I actually asked him, this was a little later when I I got to figure out how to improve lead time. Well, I better go ask all the engineering executives across the company how we can do that. So I asked a director at GitHub, what would actually improve your lead time? He told me that he thought that the reason for their lead time was requirements churn, meaning you know, developers would begin a task and then halfway through the task, they would realize, oh, we're not really building the right thing. And then the PM comes in, changes the direction of the thing that they're working on. They have to start all over and it happens all over again. Requirements quality is 
so important for not wasting developers' time. You don't want to waste developer cycles working on the wrong thing or pivot halfway through and have them throw away all their work. And so requirements quality is something that definitely was surfaced in our research. It's also something we're seeing with the organizations we work with be a consistent bottleneck and friction point. I love that. And I viscerally feel the tossing and turning of that mess, the messy requirements there. I think all across the different levels, I think that problem happens all the time. And not only just engineering, request can be, I mean, requirement can be operational task. And same thing, it may change afterwards after we start digging into it. What are the, maybe a second or third, do we have more example like that? I think that's this kind of walks through of the, walking through the examples of what are the common pinpoints where productivity can be increased. Like if we optimize something that leads to direct impact on productivity. It's maybe not a direct answer to your question, but one of the themes from our research and our experience working with organizations is this tension around what to do about these problems. I mean, if you talk to developers, these types of pro- like the problems of developer experience are glaringly obvious to developers. They live it literally every day. But some of these problems go unsolved. And we see this with organizations that are talking about developer experience and claiming to make larger investments in developer experience. And really what we found in our research and in our experience, the problem boils down to the fact that there's always this tension between feature delivery and all the other stuff. Feature delivery versus internal improvements or technical debt or improving tools, the enablement work, so to speak. And I think navigating that tension is a big challenge for frontline managers and middle managers who often see the problems on the ground that are inhibiting their teams, but don't necessarily have the authority or the capacity to shift resources to address them. So I I think that's sort of this universal challenge. It's the same challenge that's existed around technical debt, but it really applies to all these aspects of development organizations. And that's one of the reasons why you see the pattern of organizations forming dedicated teams, dedicated groups, specifically focused on developer productivity, because they just completely separate the responsibility of feature work and enablement work within their organizations. How early a company should start thinking about separating out productivity, either one person or a team? Great question. We see organizations definitely thinking about that problem as early as around the 30 to 40 engineer mark. At that point, you start to have roles that are principal engineers or staff engineers, people who are more focused on the success of others rather than just the day-to-day of getting features out. Though you don't start to see the investment in dedicated teams, whether they're DevX teams or developer productivity teams or platform teams, I don't think you see that as much until more the, the 70 to 80 engineer mark. And that's okay. I don't think that small organizations necessarily should form dedicated roles or teams around these problems. When you're still small, a lot of these problems, you're you're close enough to them that you don't run into the problem as much that we talked about where you're unable to actually work on these problems. These smaller organizations tend to be able to be a little more flexible and responsive and agile around addressing the challenges that come up. They're not beholden to a product organization that's really setting the priorities for the engineering org, for example. They're not beholden to executives who are a few degrees now removed from the experience of engineers on the ground. So I think they're more easily able to tackle problems even without having a dedicated team focused on it. 
You mentioned a little bit about the churn of the tension that people run into when they are responsible for something, but they don't have necessarily the authority to make a change. And I'm thinking of like the maybe the manager of managers context where they maybe have a broader scope of responsibility, but maybe not quite the ownership to change systemic issues. When you think about this framework, are there any interesting distinctions for how somebody who maybe is a manager of managers, director, senior director, larger scope should or could apply this framework? I think you hit on it a little bit just in in the description of the problem. When you're a manager of managers, you're the one person, the one level in the organization that can see between the needs of the people on the ground and the vision of executive leadership. And so I think a big part of your responsibility as a middle manager is to help bridge and navigate that gap. A big responsibility and opportunity for middle management is to help create the opportunity to advocate for their teams and their developers and help create some space to tackle these problems. And to be clear, I think a lot of these problems, we're not talking about devoting months or quarters, although at GitHub, we did freeze features for an entire quarter (laughs) to fix developer experience. But you can make a lot of headway with quick wins, low-hanging fruit. And so even just devoting half a day for each developer across a quarter. That's much better than nothing. And that also, I think, is inspiring to the team to feel like leadership actually cares about their experience, cares about the issues on the ground, and is enabling them to make improvements. That is like, that's an interesting sort of systemic recommend, like practice to introduce. And so I'm thinking of like, you know, the case maybe where they don't, there is no dedicated DevX or developer productivity team, a half a day, a quarter as a way in which to introduce some of the benefits of thinking at that level of focusing on how do you create more systemic productivity and a better experience. I just want to chime in. You hit on something interesting, this divide between either the teams figure out a way to handle it themselves or a dedicated team comes and solves the problems. That concept doesn't actually work in reality. In reality, developer experience does always consist of more global cross-cutting issues as well as hyper-local specific issues that only affect individual teams. And so you really can't ever solve developer experience only through outside dedicated teams. You always are going to need the local teams to be attentive to and enabled to address some of the issues that are specific to them. Well, and so what is that? what would that look like with a local team? You know, the typical organization, it's very common that things like build tooling, test infrastructure, even deployment infrastructure becomes a bottleneck at some point as the organization grows. There's a lot of complexity. The code bases get larger. There's more teams to coordinate and try to ship software through the same lanes and traffic jams start to occur. And so that's an example of a problem that's a really good fit for a dedicated team to come in and focus on. It affects the entire organization. There's huge leverage in solving that because the surface area of that problem is very wide. At the same time, you might have a team that is working on their own service in isolation, but they have a lot of technical debt, or they're just having problems within their team and in terms of their processes and collaboration model. That's not going to be the responsibility of a dedicated developer experience team. Although some of these teams do try to have coaching models or embed into local teams, almost a dojo model to come in and support. But a lot of organizations don't have that luxury. With these local problems, again, it's going to come down to the frontline managers to have that awareness or surface the insight and feedback from developers to identify the problems. And then hopefully they're going to be enabled by their managers, middle managers, to be able to devote some resources to solving them. 
that's the parallel track to actually improving developer experience. It's a combination of dedicated developer productivity teams, as well as local teams, frontline managers and directors also focusing on their local issues. That's great. I want to dive into the head of function VP of engineering context. I think one, I want to acknowledge that so far, just the manner in which you have introduced the questions that people should be asking and where they should be looking, I think is one way is sort of like a meta intervention for VPs of engineering. Ask some of these questions, look at some of these places. Are there other sort of application distinctions of this framework at the larger head of function sphere of influence? I do think there is at the VP or executive level. There's an important question here around developer experience. And, and that question is, what are your values? When you look across the industry, there are some organizations that clearly value and invest in developer experience. They believe that by making developers happier, by enabling them with the best tools and the best processes possible, that they will create better outcomes for their business. And that's just a core belief of the organization and everything they do, the way they invest, the way they try to serve their developers revolves around that principle. On the other hand, you also see organizations that have a, maybe I would call it a more traditional view of their developers as code crunchers or whatever you want to call it. Uh, but, you know, really people who take orders from product management or their managers and spit out features, feature factories, so to speak. I mean, I've heard software organizations, I've heard leaders call them software factories. And I think that really captures what I'm talking about here. That's one of the important questions for executive leaders. You're going to have to sort of decide what's the culture and value of your organization going to be? Are you going to make developer experience an emphasis or are you not? And I wouldn't necessarily even say that, you know, one way is always the right approach. It depends on your context and where your business is at and the landscape. But the organizations we work with and the organizations we see, companies like Atlassian and Microsoft, Google, Spotify, the ways in which they're approaching developer experience, you can tell that they care about it from the C-level on down, and they're talking about it from the C-level on down. And that's part of what's powering their shift and the improvements that are coming out of their investments in developer experience. I love it. Speaking of this sort of stage of company maturity distinction level, I would love to get any insights or distinctions around applying the developer experience framework between maybe a startup versus some of these larger scale companies that maybe have more resources. So thinking early stage startup versus large scale late stage mature company, what have been some of the insights or distinctions there that you've noticed? It's really interesting. When we talk to people about developer experience and all this research and the trend, like people naturally assume, oh, this applies to like just big companies, right? And in fact, I think that was also my assumption going into this work was uh, this is mostly for large companies. I think over time, we've seen that that's not necessarily the case. We see a lot of smaller organizations. First of all, small organizations often become large organizations. A lot of forward thinking leaders are thinking a few steps ahead and oftentimes establishing developer experiences this core part of their DNA that they believe is going to be a differentiator for the organization, whether it's in recruiting or retention or productivity, they see developer experience as this key that's going to unlock things for themselves. More practically speaking, for startups that are searching for a product market fit, on one hand, it's like, why are you wasting your time you know, optimizing your tools or processes, like you got to have a viable business. On the other hand, if you do have inefficiencies, then it's even more important that you get those out of the way because your your existence depends on being able to iterate quickly and ship quickly. And so there's this kind of that interesting tension there. The other interesting trend has been that we see a lot of leaders of startups starting to 
even if they don't have a lot of resources to invest in improvements or they don't have the capacity to form dedicated teams yet, they still do start measuring pretty early on. Uh, a good example of this is Vercel. They started really focusing on measuring developer experience using our framework at a pretty early size before their most recent huge fundraising rounds and, and rapid growth. And looking back, we've, we've spoken to them, they've, they really value the fact that they did that because by establishing those baselines early on, it's been really informative as they've grown of what has changed in the organization as they've added teams, added developers. And so establishing a baseline at the very least early on, even if you can't you know, make big initiatives and big changes, there's still a lot of value to that. If you're expecting to exist two years from now, you'll be able to learn things from your data that you otherwise wouldn't have if you were to just start tuning in later on. You know, when I think about the passion that you have in this space and the research that you've been able to dive into and and help generate all of these insights, you're also building a company like DX is dedicated to this. So like, how are you incorporating this research into the building of your own company? Talk about how you are applying this within within the context of what y'all are doing. Yeah. So, well, one thing that's funny, this is our second peer reviewed paper that we're putting out. And I remembered when I worked on the first paper, I, I told myself, man, like if this company doesn't work out, I'm going to be roasted for like having spent <laughs> hundreds of hours on academic research for a business that ultimately, you know, wasn't even viable. You know, thankfully our business is doing well and I feel like the research has absolutely been worth it. But, you know, it's interesting the the research, you know, on one hand, it was really driven at the beginning by a fundamental need to answer some important questions, like define what developer experience was, understand what developer experiences consists of and understand the challenges organizations face around it. And eventually, as we started building a business around helping organizations measure and improve developer experience, there was a need to take the, the methods that we're, we were coming up with and the research learnings and the experience and put that together into something concrete. I said, here is our approach. And so this latest paper, that's what it is. It's really this blend of both the research that we've done over the past three years, but also the practical experience. And really, we're really just open sourcing our approach. What's in the paper is we followed our own research in terms of our, of our own approaches. The way we build our products are modeled around the concepts that we have available in the paper. And so it's been an interesting process. And there's an interesting business angle to how we've taken this approach as well in terms of why are we investing so much in research? That's not a typical thing to do, especially for a startup. You see Google and Microsoft investing in research. Well, they have billions to spend on anything. But for us, you know, this has been a major, major investment of our capital. I want to provide a more visual example of what a team looks like when, quote unquote, they have really good developer experience and productivity. So that gives a goal for a lot of people who are running teams. I was having a conversation recently with an uh, executive at Pfizer, which is a company we work with. And in fact, I was interviewing him to ask him what his motivation is around investing in developer experience. And he, he gave a really powerful answer that really resonated with me. He talked about how you know he himself used to be a developer. I, I'm also a developer. And like as a developer, we all have experienced at some point in our careers, hopefully, <laughs> if not in school or while we're learning, that sort of magical feeling of just being in the zone, being able to work on really fulfilling, challenging things, being able to come up with new ideas, being able to contribute new ideas to a project, being able to see those ideas come to life, really being at one with the people you're working with. 
Well, he said is that as they grew, like that feeling was you know gone. Like they added managers and that magic was sort of lost. And I think that's true of a lot of organizations. I don't want to pin Pfizer as some example. I, mean, I think every company I've worked with, that's really been the story. And so the goal with developer experience, to kind of put it concretely, I think is to recapture that magic, to recreate that same amazing feeling that everyone who gets into programming has experienced, that really fun, creative feeling, and to bring that back to the workplace for every developer. Because what we know is that when you have that feeling, you're you're able to do your best work. And in fact, you usually put in extra hours because the work is so fulfilling and fun. And so I think that's what it's about. It's about bringing back that magical feeling into the, the experience of everyday work within the workplace. That's what works is all about. I mean, people won't feel good if I'm like they're adding value, they have the control, and they can see their progress, they can see their impact. It's just wonderful to be part of a team like that. So if somebody's listening and they don't have a DevX team to help facilitate you know, the impact of what we're talking about here, what would be one step you would ask for the person without a DevX team to help them move forward? And um, then opposite of that, if somebody does have a DevX team and that resource and that system set up, what's a step that they could take to take it to the next level? If you're a leader, you don't have a DevX team yet, you're maybe still a fairly early stage startup. I think the recommendation is what we talked about earlier, which is to, to start establishing a baseline now. It's not expensive. It's not that time consuming. You can start capturing these types of measurements and feedback from your developers without a major commitment to necessarily like make changes in your organization. You can just say to your developers, this is a conversation we should start having. You know, this is feedback we want to start listening to because as we grow, this will help us prioritize the areas that we need to start focusing on to help us scale. If you are a large organization that does have a DevX team, I think the biggest opportunity that I've seen is to take a step back and take a look at our framework and think about whether the things that your team is currently focused on truly are the biggest opportunities for the organization. I think it's very common for DevX groups, platform groups to get a little bit pigeonholed and oftentimes focusing on like specific tools that have been around in the organization and meanwhile miss out on bigger picture opportunities oftentimes organizations that are larger that get started with these types of measurements in our framework they're really surprised they realize that oh man there's all these opportunities we didn't even realize and developers are telling us these are the most important things these aren't the things we're working on and we need to shift our focus so uh, i think there's a huge opportunity to refocus by getting a holistic picture of the developer experience. I love it. Avi, are you ready to jump into some rapid fire questions? Let's do it. All right. What are you reading or listening to right now? Good question. I'm reading the book, Obviously Awesome by April Dunford. It's a book on positioning. I got into positioning nearly a decade ago when I read the book Positioning by Al Reese. Always been really interested in the detailed techniques around marketing. April Dumford's book, obviously awesome. I heard her on a podcast recently. A lot of people were talking about the book. Finally got around to reading it. And even just the intro, I love the way she positions her own book. It was actually inspiring. So definitely, I'm still only early on in that book, but definitely something I'd read for people in any role, whether you're a CEO or a product manager or someone working on product or in marketing or just a salesperson. I think like everyone can learn from the concepts of that book. What's a tool or methodology that's had a big impact on you? I think one thing I've started encouraging our team to do that I 
do myself as well as I, I just shut off the Wi-Fi at my house. Earlier, we were talking about deep work, or it might have been an earlier conversation, but the difficulty today with being able to focus and with developer productivity, the ability to actually concentrate and focus and think deeply about things, it's very underrated. There's a lot of research coming out now talking about the true cost of interruptions and context switching, things like that. But you know, this is something I struggle with as well now that I manage people and we have a larger team. And so personally, when I have the opportunity, I like to just shut off the Wi-Fi. I've told our team, especially our developers, please feel free to shut off your Wi-Fi. Make sure I can text you if there's an emergency, but feel free to go offline. So that's something that's been more of a method that's been helpful to me. And I know some of the people on our team. That is a, a courageous offer to extend um, to get people unplugged off the Wi-Fi. I love that. What's a trend that you're following that's interesting or hasn't hit the mainstream yet? Saunas. <laughs> uh, that fires me up. I just I just attended a sauna studio uh, this weekend. So that fires me up, actually. I think that's a hot that's a hot trend for sure. Yeah, I don't have a sauna. Uh, when I was younger, I used to go to like a fitness club where I would use the sauna and steam room often. But recently, I started looking, there's, there's quite a lead time on actually like getting one or building one. But yeah, I've been looking into like a cedar finished sauna, so to speak, kind of helps with just winding down and like sleep quality, people say so. Yep. I recommend a complimentary cold plunge tank because the, the sauna <laughs> studio I went to it was like you sauna for a little bit, you do a little cold plunge, you go back in the sauna, you can endure the heat a little bit longer. Uh, and it was yeah. awesome. That's an incredible wellness trend. All right, Abby, final question. Is there a, a quote you want to leave us with or a quote or mantra that's been resonating with you right now? So the one I would share, there's a quote, there's a few quotes related to this topic, but it's a Mark Twain quote. It goes, a lie can travel halfway around the world while the truth is putting on its shoes. And it's, I mean, look what happened with Silicon Valley Bank, as we were talking about, right? It's kind of relevant to that as well. But the reason that that quote is meaningful to me is that this problem that I've been working on for seven years around measuring developer productivity, as we talked about, there's been a lot of things that have come along over the past couple of decades, practices, metrics that have proclaimed to be the truth and the solution to this problem. And they haven't been. I've sort of watched on the sidelines. I mean, I've been a part of, at some points, I've also believed that some of those were the right solutions. But for a large part of the last decade, I've sort of sat on the sidelines trying to figure this problem out with others while seeing that the methods being sold by vendors and talked about by leaders were not effective. And I, I knew that was the truth because I had been, a, I was a developer, I was a manager, I'd been working on this problem for years. In some ways, even the last couple of years, as we were working on this research, I felt like we're, we're just trying to put on our shoes for this problem. And meanwhile, you know, there's like 40 vendors out there just hyping Dora metrics and us knowing that that's not going to really help organizations move forward. Well, we appreciate the time and the accuracy in which you spent to put on those shoes. The, the work that you've done has been incredibly empowering. So I just want to say thank you. This research paper, to me, really, like, it's a rare opportunity to talk to somebody who can speak to metrics in such an empowering and inspiring way, in a way that also then can then actually unlock engineering organizations to not only just improve the quality of life for the people on the team, but also to unlock the impact that everybody's looking for. So, Abby, just thank you for spending the time with us and, and helping us be a little bit more productive and impactful. We appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for the kind words. That's very nice of you to say. And yeah, thanks for having me on the show again. 
If you enjoyed the episode, make sure that you click subscribe if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or follow if you're listening on Spotify. And if you love the show, we also have a ton of other ways to stay involved with the engineering leadership community, to stay up to date and learn more about all of our upcoming events, our peer groups, and other programs that are going on. Head to sfelc.com. That's sfelc.com. See you next time on the Engineering Leadership Podcast.